Good morning to those here and whatever time of day it is in the world that you're watching this. Thank you for joining us, both online and in person. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria, and it is a joy to be with you from the Temple of Light in Ananda, California. And I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. Uh, this week, the topic is, Can Man See God? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There is a saying in chapter 1 of the Gospel of St. John that would seem to respond with a definite no to the question, Can man see God? The saying is, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Many great saints, however, claim to have seen God. If we ask then, can God be seen, rather than can man see God, the answer is yes, else those saints lied, and the scriptures themselves lied. For Jesus also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The point is, it is not man, this human body, these human eyes, that sees God. God can be seen only with spiritual vision, with the eye of the soul. As the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the 11th chapter, Thou canst not see me with mortal eyes, Therefore, I now give thee sight divine. Behold my supreme power of yoga. With these words, Hari, the exalted lord of yoga, revealed himself to Arjuna in his infinite form. Paramahansa Yogananda, in Autobiography of a Yogi, describes the supernal experience in words more readily comprehensible to modern minds than the poetic phraseology of the Bhagavad Gita. The chapter, An Experience in Cosmic Consciousness, is one of the most inspiringly beautiful in all mystical literature. Here is a brief excerpt. An oceanic joy broke upon calm, endless shores of my soul. The spirit of God, I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. I saw the divine dispersion of rays pour from an eternal source, blazing into galaxies, transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again, I saw the creative beams condense into constellations, then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion, sextillion worlds passed into diaphanous luster. Fire became firmament. I cognized the center of the Empyrean as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. Irradiating splendor issued from my, from my nucleus to every part of the universal structure. The creative voice of God I heard resounding as Om, the vibration of the cosmic motor. 
This, so the great masters aver, is what God is. And this also, they insist, is what we are in our deepest reality. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'd like to begin with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this reading is entitled, Demand for the Removal of the Veil of Illusion. Veils surround me, Father, hiding thee from me. I love the dainty colored veils of roses and daisies, the shining veils of clouds, of burning gold, the dark star-decked shawl of the night. But how long wilt thou remain hidden behind all these veils? I love them because they hint of thy presence, yet still they hide thee. I long to see thee as thou art behind all this cover of veils. <clears throat> so our subject is, Can Man See God? And throughout the teachings that we are familiar with through Paramahansa Yogananda, <clears throat> he keeps reminding us and demonstrating <clears throat> that difference between the material and the spiritual reality, material consciousness and divine consciousness. I've taught for many, many years meditation to people, really the most of my entire adult life, and I'm still learning every day something about meditation. But it's <clears throat> very interesting and very commonplace that people will say, I don't see the spiritual eye. I don't hear the Om in meditation. And <clears throat> use this occurrence, this experience, to justify a lack of spiritual progress or even effectiveness in the practice. And while these are universal experiences and can be experienced by anyone and everyone, they are not always everybody's unique experience because we are unique. We're individual. God made us in a particular way, and we each have a very unique, very unique journey to that divine reality, and it'll play out unlike anyone else's. <clears throat> the great Saint Teresa of Avila, who lived centuries ago in a reality very much driven, if you were 
<clears throat> spiritually oriented by the dogma of the church and what people thought was the right or the wrong experience. And <clears throat> not only did she see Jesus in the body, but she perceived Jesus Christ as formless. And this caused <clears throat> a lot of commotion. Most people thought that she was a heretic, that she was saying and experiencing an untruth until they found it written in the writings of a saint who had lived earlier than her, who spoke also of the formless Christ. Whenever I feel my consciousness getting smaller, tripping over the expansiveness, the totality that's presented in and through our teachings without limit. I love to read from uh, Yogananda's autobiography, the chapter, The Resurrection of Sri Yukteswar. It just breaks everything to pieces. <laughs> all form, all, all what we think we understand. And I wanted to share with you an excerpt. Yogananda, Sri Yukteswar has appeared to him. He has passed, left his body. He has now appeared resurrected. He is there with Yogananda. And Yogananda has asked him to explain the realm in which he now resides, the astral plane, the causal planes. And Yukteswar answers, unlike the spatial, three-dimensional physical world cognized only by the five senses, the astral spheres are visible to the all-inclusive sixth sense, intuition. Sri Yukteswar went on, by sheer intuitional feeling all astral beings see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. They possess three eyes, two of which are partly closed. The third and chief astral eye, vertically placed on the forehead, is open. Astral beings have all the outer sensory organs, ears, eyes, nose, tongue, and skin, but they employ the intuitional sense to experience sensations through any part of the body. They can see through the ear or nose or skin. They are able to hear through the eyes or tongue and can taste through the ears or skin and so forth. <laughs> that definitely <laughs> breaks apart whatever our material, physical reality is as we think we know it. It just shatters everything. And it's important, you know, read that chapter once in a while just to remind yourself you're not just this physical body. You're not just these thoughts. You are much, much more. And the reality that we perceive that is beyond this material universe, we perceive through our intuition, through that inner divine reality that resides within each one of us, that which we come home to in every meditation. It's worth reviewing 
this circumstance described in uh, autobiography that Ananta read, experiences in cosmic consciousness. Yogananda has come to master back. He's been away searching for the divine truth in the Himalayas, and he reappears, and Yukteswar welcomes him. Let's have breakfast together. And Yogananda's overwhelmed at the love and generosity of spirit that his guru embraces him with. No judgment, you know, no reprimand. And a few days later, Yogananda's meditating in Sri Yukteswar's sitting room. And his mind is all over, all over. He describes it as birds scattered before the hunter taking aim. <laughs> Just, you know, we don't even need to imagine. We all have the experience. I assume, I assume you, like myself, have this experience. But how important to be reminded that even our guru shares this experience. And <clears throat> so he's meditating, and Yukteswar calls to him. And he is bound and determined <laughs> to stay meditating. And doesn't my guru know I'm meditating? And Yukteswar says, I know how you're meditating. Your mind, your thoughts are like leaves before a gust of wind. Come. And Yogananda comes to him. And Yukteswar says, the Himalayas aren't going to give you what you want. And he touches him on the heart. And Yogananda goes into this state, which he describes that Yogananda uh, Ananta read this morning from Yogananda's autobiography. And <clears throat> when he comes out, he, again, in that passage, he reminds us it's not the intellect. We don't get this experience by knowing the teachings in and out. We don't get it there through our minds. We don't get there by even being willing, willing to have it, setting fear to the back. OK, take me, Lord. That doesn't even do it. He stresses how important the devotion of the heart is, the receptivity to the guru and the consciousness of the guru, that experience of our consciousness being so much in association with God through the instrument of the guru that we become, through his grace, receptive. In the reading this morning, our attention is brought also to Krishna's words. You cannot get there by material consciousness. You can only get there material sight. You can only get there through divine sight. And remember, Arjuna is there. He's on the battlefield. You know, his friend, his comrade, his everything is Krishna. And he's looking at Krishna. Who are you? What is this? You know, this battlefield, this war that's about to take place, my family, your family, this fight, this 
creation, this maya, who are you? And Krishna says, I will grant you divine sight. I will reveal this to you. And he becomes everything for Arjuna to see and behold. And Arjuna does. He sees Krishna in his cosmic reality, the Vishwarupa. And Krishna is the mountains, the sky, the galaxies, the earth, the water, all human beings merged into one. And Arjuna is overwhelmed. It's more than he can take in. And he says, please, Krishna, come back to me as my friend, as my beloved, as the face and, and body and humanness that I know and that is familiar. And Krishna then assumes his form as Lord Krishna. But he is granted, he is given Arjuna divine sight. And it's very interesting because before this war took place, in a last-ditch effort, <laughs> Krishna did the very same for Arjuna's opponent, Duryodhana. He wanted, it was the last thing he could think of to dissuade Duryodhana from this ridiculous fight. You know, driven by Duryodhana's ego, driven by his greed, driven by his wanting to have it all for himself. And Krishna said, I'll just try this one last thing. And he revealed himself, the Vishwarupa, the cosmic expression of God in everything and everyone. He granted this divine sight, even to Duryodhana. And what did Duryodhana do with it? He just said, ah, <laughs> I'm not interested. This is just a conjurer's trick. This isn't real. He didn't see Krishna. He didn't behold Krishna, who was there right in front of him as everything as all truth, as all understanding, all knowledge, all explanation about what was really happening. But Duryodhana thought he knew what was happening. And in his version, through his sight, it was about getting everything he could get for himself, his way, his want, his reality, his need. And he blocked that receptivity even when that gift of divine sight was offered. We are lucky to have the account of Dr. Lewis's first meeting with Yogananda, Dr. Lewis, a disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda's. And when Dr. Lewis came to visit, to meet Yogananda for the first time in person, this was already a big step for him because he had been raised in an environment and with the teaching that beware, beware of false prophets. You know, don't just open yourself to anybody and anyone, especially if they look like <laughs> wearing orange robes and a turban and whatnot. But Dr. Lewis, you know, he, he demonstrated a great courage there to step outside of the pervading material consciousness 
and to welcome the divine reality. And he came with a lot of questions, which he asked Yogananda, and one of these was, I read in the Bible, and he studied the Bible a lot. I read there the words of Christ, if thine eye be single, thy whole body will be filled with light. Can you tell me what that means? So many times I have asked this question, and no one has been able to give me an answer. And Yogananda said, I think so. <laughs> and then he asked Dr. Lewis to sit before him and he said, will you give me your unconditional love as I have given you mine? And Dr. Lewis said, yes. And then he said, <clears throat> then Yogananda said, <clears throat> I will take charge of your life. And he touched uh, Dr. Lewis at the forehead. And Dr. Lewis, in that instance, in that meeting with Yogananda. He saw the tunnel of blue light, the white five-pointed star of the spiritual eye, and he saw the thousand-petaled lotus at the crown chakra, the Sahaswara. And afterwards, Yogananda said to him, so he went into that blissful reality for some time, and then Yogananda said to him, promise me, that you will never avoid me. Very interesting. That resonates with me, I, I suppose naturally so. I mean, if we weren't avoiding the guru and avoiding God, we wouldn't be birthing and rebirthing again and again and again. But on some level, you know, there's that little part that resists the divine sight, the divine vision and just says, I'm happy with what I have. I'm happy with this consciousness such as it is. Promise me you'll never avoid me. And <clears throat> this is really the most important thing because Yogananda's talking about being close to the guru, being close to the consciousness of the guru. And that's what enables us to exercise divine sight, nothing else. Everything else we do, the yoga, the devotion, the meditation, all of that is to come to a place where we are poised. If I'm ready, Lord, reveal this to me, Arjuna said. And Arjuna did, and Yukteswar did, and Yogananda did. Swami Kriyananda said, whenever he was with in Yogananda's presence, he said to be in Yogananda's presence, to be in his presence, it's like you could just reach out with your finger right there and touch God. It cannot be overstated being close to the guru close to that consciousness, near master, near our line of gurus. It's just like God is right there. We can see that.
I wanted to close with a reading from Promise of Immortality. And this is a, an expanded version of the readings that we read from every Sunday at service. And Swamiji, Swami Kriyananda, gives us a visualization at the end of the chapter that corresponds to this reading today. And I'd like to just offer, this isn't just a visualization. It'll be familiar. We oftentimes will lead one in this way. But Swami chose his words very carefully. And by that, I mean he chose them in association, in attunement with his guru. And he tried to feel Yogananda's consciousness in every word, through every word. He tried to feel Yogananda's vibration coming through and directing what he offered himself as an instrument to write. And so as you listen to this, and I'd like you to just sit with that interior focus, your consciousness at the point between the eyebrows. This is scripture. In other words, this has the power to impart consciousness. That's what divine sight is. The masters, our guru, they're imparting a state of consciousness, of grace and we are receiving it and having that experience of oneness. That's what scripture does also when it's finally attuned to the vibration and the consciousness of the one who wrote it. And in this case, God through Master, through Swamiji. So I will read this and let's follow along with this and feel the energy and the consciousness. Meditate daily on the vastness of God. Attune yourself to the Guru's or Christ's consciousness of infinity. Visualize that presence as a light residing at the very center of your heart, shining with purity. Mentally expand the light until it fills your body. Then visualize it expanding beyond the body, surrounding you with a golden aura. That aura Not your physical form is your true body. Go on expanding the light. Visualize it filling the room in which you sit. The countryside. Your neighborhood your nation, all the continents and oceans of the earth. From the center of your expanded awareness in your own heart, 
send rays of pure light and love in blessing to all beings everywhere. Release your light, finally, from its earthly confines. See it streaming outward in bliss to embrace the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, the universe. Meditate daily on this expansion of pure light and love until you find your consciousness soaring on wings of inspiration to God. As the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he closes, may his consciousness of bliss, light, and love become at last the realization of your own self. Thank you and bless you.